Yeah, I mean, I think for us, one of the things we recognised was that a lot of the people we were working with were fairly young, perhaps hadn't had significant formal education, but they were also very much learning on the job. So they were developing their skills whilst they were also delivering support to communities that were facing significant stress. And they were of those communities themselves, so they were also pretty stressed. And we were interested to know how could we provide a learning solution that was more engaging, that enabled them to go through the experience safely and therefore learn from it. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the EdTech Podcast and this latest episode of the VocTech Podcast Learning Continued, which seeks to explore the intersection of adult learning and tech. This series is supported by UFI VocTech Trust. My name is Sophie Bailey. Before we begin, a date for your diaries. Monday the 2nd to Friday the 6th of November is the week of VocTech, with a series of online events open now for registration via Eventbrite. We will be running some live podcast sessions, as well as sessions which invite you into a live Q&A with some of our October podcast guests who are involved in investment in vocational technology. So keep your eyes peeled on our show notes, social feeds and newsletters for the sign-ups. Now, on to this week's VocTech episode. In this episode, we throw back to a past recording chatting about the power of role play and simulation technology in hostile environment training and international development. In conversation are Mike Todd, the CEO of Nearlife, and Kathy Raleen Evans, Director for Development Projects and the Innovation Unit at the Norwegian Refugee Council. This episode was recorded at the start of 2020, what seems like an eon ago in pre-COVID times. So before we begin, here is Mike reflecting on what's changed since our recording. Yes, that's right. I mean, the world has changed quite drastically since we last spoke. But what we've definitely seen in the in the months during the pandemic is that there has been a, a massive increase, I think, for the sector as a whole in uh, remote learning. Um so we uh, we launched our interactive video authoring tool back in February at the Learning Technologies Conference, which now seems a, a lifetime ago. But we've seen people looking to make things interactive that perhaps they did in a way that was face to face before uh, immersive exercises or role play style exercises. A lot of people are looking for ways and solutions to bring that type of activity online and, and make remote learning more engaging. So in that respect, we, we've certainly seen an increase in interest in the type of work we do. And uh, we've also been pushing on with um, the projects we've been involved with in the space. We work with NRC. We, we had a big project in partnership with the World Health Organization around emergency medical teams and um, kind of security training. And that will go live in October of this year. So in a, in a few weeks, basically. And um, again, we've seen a, a big increase in the need for accessibility uh, to that type of training, the type of training that would traditionally be done perhaps through these scenario based exercises. So uh, that's been a big project with us. And we, we, we're very um, fortunate to have been um, successful with an Innovate UK bid around um uh, a project we're looking at in terms of enhancing our authoring capability of our software 
to create training that allows for complex, more complex scenarios. So we we put in the project with Greater Manchester Police for um, um, for funding with Innovate UK, and that was successful. So that's going to be a big project for us over the coming months, and we'll see us really develop the uh, sophistication of the way that these scenarios can be created and the way you can track and share the analytics around them. So it's an interesting time, and hopefully we'll have a... Um, yet yeah, we'll have a an interesting next year and i think i think as i say that the whole of the world has changed and uh there's only going to be a, a greater emphasis on how you make distance learning more engaging and more immersive and interactive thanks mike to everyone listening i hope you enjoy this episode you can also keep your eyes peeled on the podcast feed for upcoming episodes on skills, student experience and investment in workplace learning technology. Bye-bye. I'm delighted to have Cathy Raleen Evans, Director for Developments Projects and the Innovation Unit, or the DPIU, at the Norwegian Refugee Council on the line. So welcome, Cathy. Good morning. So first off, do you think you could tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in your own terms? Sure. So I work for the the Norwegian Refugee Council, which is a humanitarian aid agency that supports communities displaced by conflict. We work in 31 countries around the world. Our primary beneficiaries are refugees and internally displaced people and the host communities. Brilliant. And... Are you based in the UK or are you based in Norway? I'm based in the UK, so I work remotely with our head office in Oslo, but also with our offices around the world. This podcast series is all about vocational learning. So we've had everyone from sort of the healthcare sector to people training horses, so completely random and different vocational sectors. With your work, what are the main challenges that you face, I suppose? To what extent in your training of your teams has technology helped enable what you do? It's a huge piece of our work, both internally for our own staff and also more externally facing towards the communities that we're working with. Internally, we use technology a lot because obviously we're not all in the same location and we have Quite a lot of our induction program is now online. We work with the Humanitarian Leadership Academy, their Kaya platform, and that gives us access to tailored e-learning that we have set up ourselves, but also the, the wealth of other training tools that are available for the sector. Increasingly, we're using technology as part of and digital solutions as part of our services to communities. And that can be anything from more traditional apps that enable our increased learning in schools where we provide education in emergencies, but also as part of our cash distributions and tracking of beneficiaries, measurement of water sources, for example, water trucking to see how much water is left in the tank before and after we distribute to make sure that it's being distributed in the right place. And also some remote sensing technology and tracking for for other services that we might be distributing or building in some cases and then going in and checking later that that's actually been happening. 
And we've got Mike Todd, CEO of Near Life, on the line as well. So we'll go to him in just a sec. But what's your collaboration with Near Life? And to what extent, I mean, as I understand it, some of that covers sort of hostile environment training and that kind of thing. But could you tell us a little bit about that collaboration and, and how you both came to work together? Sure. One of our primary aims in our work as, a, as an aid organisation is to be in locations that are what we call hard to reach. So increasingly difficult, volatile and high risk areas are where our beneficiaries are based. So we needed to find ways to reach those those communities. And so we worked with with Mike and the Near Life team for some of our programming through partners uh, in the Middle East, where we were unable to work physically next to those partners. And we needed to be able to ensure that they had a minimum understanding around humanitarian principles and also how to look after themselves in difficult situations and also how to keep an eye on their own resilience and well-being in situations of, of high stress. So I became aware of some of the near-life work that they had done in East Africa and I felt that the, the model that they had and the methodology was particularly appropriate to what we were trying to do, which was you know, a more immersive way of engaging people in learning. I mean, that's really fascinating because there's a lot of VR and AR technology developing up around sort of empathy building and some of those so-called soft skills. So is, is, is that kind of an aspect of, of the training is sort of getting into another person's shoes, as it were? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, one of the things we recognised was that a lot of the people we were working with were fairly young, perhaps hadn't had significant formal education, but they were also very much learning on the job. So they were developing their skills whilst they were also delivering support to communities that were facing significant stress. And they were of those communities themselves. So they were also pretty stressed. And we were interested to know how could we provide a learning solution that was more engaging, that enabled them to go through the experience safely and therefore learn from it. So the the methodology of of a sort of almost kind of choose your own adventure style where our partners could then, you know, see a difficult situation, see the variety of solutions that might be taken in relation to that and then make that choice without consequence was also quite important to us. Fantastic. Thank you. Let's see if we can loop Mike back in. Mike, are you there? I am, yes. Apologies there. I had a slight sound issue, but uh, hopefully you can hear me clearly now. Right. Yes, we can. That's great. So, well, welcome to the EdTech Podcast. Thank you very much. As Cathy did, I don't know if you heard, but if, if you could introduce yourself, so who you are and what you do to our listeners, that would be great. Yeah, my name's uh, Mike Todd, and I'm the uh, chief executive of Near Life. We're a learning technologies company based out of Manchester in the UK. And uh, yeah, really, my background is, is a kind of a combination of digital technologies, media production, but international development as well. I have some experience in kind of the international development space and the humanitarian space. And it was from that, really, I think it was that background that led us on the path that eventually led to Kathy and I working together was um, an area that I had some experience in the kind of the large-scale immersive style Mm. exercises that often carried out in the space of humanitarian training and learning where you would you know 
be involved in very elaborate exercises with people playing characters. I mean, that when I first done, you mentioned the hostile environment training earlier, when I first did that a number of years ago, it was done on the MOD base in, uh, in the UK, in Wales, in the Brecon Beacons. And it was involving everything from the British military to the Welsh hill farmers who were brought there to act like local mayors. You had to negotiate things like access. So very, very immersive and experiential type approach to the learning, but also, as you can imagine, that the scale and the cost of it was very considerable. Some of this area, so hostile environment training and so on. And I guess the um, the go-to has always been to do it in person. And there's probably benefits to having that real face-to-face experience but these things don't have to be mutually exclusive so it doesn't have to be one or the other and it's really interesting to hear from Kathy of the example where there are some situations where you can't be there in person but actually supporting the team and and your partners in some way is is really essential so technology being a kind of workaround in in that situation. Yes absolutely I mean the project that we work together with Kathy on is a very good case in point where there was a real ambition from the NRC, I think, and I don't want to speak on Kathy's behalf here, but to, to provide the best possible access to the training that was available for partners, the partner, the delivery partners on the ground, for example, in a context like Syria, it's just not possible for them to be able to travel and gain the kind of access to the immersive exercise-based training, which may involve moving to a geography. But it, it's true across the world with many kind of humanitarian projects that are using staff base all around the world that just with the best will in the world, it can be sometimes unrealistic to get everyone in one place to do these immersive exercises. So yes, you are. There's always going to be, of course, the the value and the, the kind of the best practice involved in the face-to-face training. But as you say, it doesn't either A, need to be mutually exclusive or B, if there is a situation where that's not possible, how can you best replicate through the kind of a digital learning technologies approach? Maybe I can add to Mike's point, because one of the things that we were quite concerned about was whether or not presenting these real life experiences as part of the training would actually trigger an emotional reaction, a stressful reaction amongst the learners. And so when we were actually preparing the content for the training, we we, we actually had some face-to-face meetings with staff on the ground and and work through a whole series of scenarios with them to develop the content. We talked at that time about, you know, the possibility of actually needing some sort of psychosocial support on hand in case discussing these issues would trigger, you know, some sort of post-traumatic stress or similar. Hmm. Fortunately, that, that wasn't the case, but it was a factor that we tried to consider throughout the training about what the reaction to seeing quite stressful situations might be for learners. But equally, NRC delivers its hostile environment training to almost all of its senior staff now. And the purpose of that is to understand and preempt your reaction in a a stressful situation. So this method was the best way that we could help people to do that learning without being physically present with them, to to have this option of, you know, this, this immersive way of showing through the eyes of the, the learner, the potential situations that they might experience. Yeah, it's so interesting because I saw on the news probably a couple of months ago now where they were almost using immersive technology to have a safe and controlled environment of, I think this was kind of war, ex-military essentially, to sort of 
face up to some of those situations where they were having that recurring post-traumatic stress disorder experience over and over again. And then they would sort of almost expose them to that through immersive technology over a period of time until it became something that they could manage. But so it's really interesting how it's being used. So to try and avoid that or to try and kind of tackle it head on. But I was quite interested in in your job title, Kathy. So Development Projects and Innovation Unit. In that capacity, how do you kind of assess what technologies are coming online and how you may use them in your work with the Norwegian Refugee Council as well? My role and the, the team that I work in, we consider ourselves to be the unit that sort of pokes a finger in the eye of the organisation. <laughs> it, it's our job to sort of incubate new ideas and then see whether or not they can be integrated into the rest of the organisation. So that does require us sort of scanning the, the sector, as it were, looking at sort of future planning But also we have to then make some choices about what we actually invest in because our resources are fairly limited. Mm. So we're probably not as risk-taking in that regard as we we could be because, because of the way we're financially structured. We tend to invest in things that are pretty certain. You know, we're starting to see some developments and advantages from that incubation and integration approach. And particularly in, in, in sort of the digital sector, where we now have integrated digital staff members into each of our program areas. So we now have a, a digital advisor on our education mm-hmm. team, a digital advisor on our shelter team, and also one on our information counselling and legal assistance team. So looking at how we can apply those programs digitally, or they can be accessed by our beneficiaries in that way. That's so interesting. So it's become like a cross-cutting part of the organisation. That's what we're trying to do. I mean, we're trying, I mean, most of the time we're, we're behind the curve. We're not as, as savvy on, on the direction as others. And we're often trying to catch up. But equally, we are quite lucky that we have, you know, quite a lot of primary space to, to try things out. There's a lot of challenges at the moment, particularly around data protection, mm. GDPR. We're dealing with a lot of individual information about people and how do we manage that? And also how do we how do we keep up with the people themselves? They're often they're often ahead of us. And this was one of the things when we did the project with with the Near Life team was, you know, to try and anticipate the what these young aid workers would find appealing. And the video methodology for us was particularly key because that's how people are engaging in that space with knowledge. They're watching short clips, engaging mm. with them. You know, they're not doing more traditional, long, short and talk kind of PowerPointy style things. And I think the other thing that the team came up with was a sort of a call-in method. So recorded you know, conversations between people, very much like this that was also another way of engaging learners. Very interesting. Thank you. And Mike, you work across a number of different sectors. So I just wondered if you kind of take a top-down look at your work with Near Life, how the use of vocational learning technology applies across, you know, whether it's international development or retail or other sectors. What are the differences and, and what are the kind of commonalities across those sectors as well? 
Well, I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit before about the origins of, of where our work started. And, and I think Kathy had mentioned a project we did early on. We, we really launched around this specific project that was done out in Kenya. It was it was funded through USA, the American Aid Department and, and Department for International Development here in the UK. And it was very much around field security management. It wasn't the mm-hmm. full-blown hostile environment style training we've discussed earlier, but it was very much connected with security and how you operate in the field. But our belief, although this was the inception and, and the idea of, of what we were doing, how you could take this kind of experiential-based learning and, and provide a kind of a digital experience, we always felt and had the aspiration to, to kind of establish this approach as something that could be used anywhere where you, where you would benefit from a kind of a, a, a scenario-based. So basically, our, our view of it was that, you know, anywhere where there was a kind of a role play or exercise based or experiential learning, whatever, whatever term you want to use, but it's where people benefit from learning by doing and being thrown into a position where they're making decisions and responding a certain way. That's the common ground, if you like. The, the, the context is obviously very different. If you're talking about very dynamic security situations where you might have to make decisions in a very kind of immediate way and the consequences can be very severe, Yes, it can provide that, but also, I mean, we've done a project with the ambulance service where it was very much a decision-making and very much making decisions under time pressure, but it mm. was around dispatcher control. So how dispatchers prioritize kind of dispatching the ambulances based on the cases that are provided. So, you know, anywhere where that decision-making is critical, we've also done things ranging from uh, health and safety up. As to how you have a kind of just an in-store, you're making choices around when to address colleagues a certain way or when to report incidents of health and safety, perhaps there's been a spillage. So anywhere where people have got to respond to the, to the kind of the context and, and the choices they make will affect the outcome. So traditionally, a big area for this has been things like sales training, you know, where people have got to kind of respond to signals and cues from other people. So there's a, there's a range of applications, but it's as, as you can tell by the, the project we did with Kathy and some of our other work, I think one of the most interesting spaces is the humanitarian space, simply because you've got the global scale, you've got mm. the, the need to kind of try and standardize some of these principles across many territories. I mean, that first project we did, the field security management one, I think it's used in 33 countries around the world. It's in Arabic, Spanish, French, as well as English. So these things have a kind of a scale and provide a level of access to a type of learning that simply perhaps isn't possible through funding the traditional face-to-face approaches, which again, I will keep reiterating, of course there is value and there is always going to be a place for that. And in an ideal world, you would be able to blend your learning with an element of that. But there are other advantages bringing it to the digital space in that, let's say, the choices that are made attract so you can mm. track the choices and and give contextualized feedback which is not something that really can be done in the type of group exercises when there's a number of people involved it's very difficult to get that individual feedback to your specific choices so it's an interesting space absolutely yeah i think the my previous interview in this area was probably one of my favorite over the last three years just because there's such uh, an actual use case for the application of the technology and it making a difference so Final questions. Kathy, if, if you could have your way and the DPIU, you know, made all the decisions, what would you love to see? Not necessarily for the NRC, but just generally in the sector that you work in. What would you love to see in terms of how it develops, in terms of using 
technology in a way that has high impact? That's a pretty challenging question. I mean, I, I think the thing that's that catches us out, particularly from the from the perspective of sort of international aid organizations, is that we are we're not as savvy as we need to be around either pitching our ideas into the, the tech sector and being clear about you know what is what is potentially possible or understanding you know some of the i mean the longer term relationship elements we're not very well set up to to have continuous relationships with with tech development companies in the same way because of our funding structures and so on and so we rely a lot on goodwill of those organizations to you know to support us if we can be a bit more up to speed and professional i guess in in that regard then we're a much better partner and then we can get the best out of of those working relationships interesting yeah and have that sort of sustainable partnership going forward yes exactly and then for both of you we always ask our guests what projects people books or other resources have inspired you in this area so are there any particular things that you've read or or seen that you keep returning to that inspire your work and inspire the way you think about your work in this area? I mean, the, the thing that's, that's sort of changing our working space at the moment is it's not necessarily a book or a thing, but, but it's, it's actually investing a time in understanding how to manage and engage with distributed teams. Mm. And using platforms like Zoom and understanding how best you can use those platforms and applying our more traditional ways of sharing information and talking to one another more deliberately through those through those platforms. So being able to actually work a bit harder at making connections over distance and sharing information and yeah, being quite deliberate about that has really improved our ways of working rather than sort of taking it for granted or you know not really investing in platforms that can really assist and, and making the best of the technology and yeah you can't just always revert to Skype and email but actually thinking differently about what technology is out there for us to be more effective in what we do and, and I'm, that's speaking from a perspective where we do have to communicate with you know 30 plus different offices with varying bandwidth with varying kind of ways of engaging and learning and sharing information. I'm so glad you used the example of distributed teams because I feel that there's this whole conversation about future of work and vocational learning and all the rest of it and very rarely does it relate to the fact that distributed teams are becoming the growth in that area and the way that people work and that style is is kind of happening at pace and and yet People kind of tend to talk about training still in a very traditional way, I think. So, yeah, love that example. And I saw an article, I I can't remember if it was in Forbes or something like that, but it was someone talking about how we all love Slack. Everyone started using Slack, but actually some of these platforms, and it's not something specific to Slack, it's more about adjusting to the style of distributed work, means that we end up using these instant messaging services to talk about work rather than to do the work. and. So it's just been really mindful of that new mode of working, I suppose. So love that example. And Mike, we'll finish with you. Again, I suppose it's it's difficult for me to give you a 
a kind of a eureka moment of something particular that I suppose has inspired us in our work. But I think where we've come at this from, given our background, is is really a kind of a cross-fertilized history of different experiences from the media and digital content side to the international development side to the learning side. And I think that is, for me, where we really sit and what we want to continue to do. We are interested in the kind of the creative application of technologies. And a lot of what we do in the learning space is very much narrative driven. It's game-based driven. So we're bringing in kind of game-based mechanics and gamification ideas and this kind of like interactive narrative stuff. And it's, to me, that's the interesting space. I think you've seen with the evolution of ed tech and learning technologies, generally there has been an embrace of the potential to make learning more engaging and more immersive and more entertaining even for people who have got to do the learning. I think that is the, the thing that really inspires us. So we take you know, inspiration from the entertainment world, from kind of the, the game world, and we, we try and bring in these best practice from different areas to, to kind of look at what's possible. So we, we are at the moment working on a new project it's kind of based around World Health Organization security guidelines for emergency field hospitals. That one will be kind of a VR-based, decision-based scenario where the, the choices will be voice activated. But again, you've, it's, it's applying technologies that you, you see in kind of in the Xbox world and in, in the games world. So we are trying to make learning something that is very much in step with the, the best kind of applications of technology out there. It's really interesting because I did an episode a couple of weeks back on well-being and it was mostly people from the school sector speaking and one of them actually referenced that you know the emergency services and people on the front line that have to deal with high pressure stressful situations get this kind of training and wouldn't it be wonderful if in the school sector there was something similar so it's interesting to hear the conversation and a flow in and out of, of, of different areas across the spectrum of education as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your work. Lovely. Thank you very much all. Thanks so much and thanks for having us. So enjoyed it. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening in, everyone. A big shout out to this week's amazing guests and don't forget to check out their work via our show notes at the edtechpodcast.com. If you like this episode, please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and we'd love to hear from you. For upcoming events, competitions, funding and more, do sign up to our newsletter. But that's it for now. Take care. Bye bye.